Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of EI on the Fly, our podcast about all things early intervention. This is episode five, and we're talking about managing technology. Um, hopefully, you've joined us for our previous episodes in our tele-intervention series. Um, today, we're going to dive into talking about a topic that's completely relevant to tele-intervention because technology is such a hot topic to making um, virtual intervention go well. So I'm Dana Childress. I work in Virginia as an early intervention professional development consultant, and I'm joined as always by Emily. So I'm going to let Emily introduce herself. Hi, I am Emily Webb, and I... I'm actually not actively working in early intervention currently. Um, I was an early intervention provider for a long time and wore a different, lots of different hats. Um, but I'm super happy to be continuing to work on this um, this podcast project, and I'm excited to be here and talk about managing technology. And I'm really excited that you are still here. So <laughs> I'm super glad that we're going to still continue to record the podcast together. So um, Emily's going to actually get us started talking about managing technology. Yeah. So in this episode, you know, like Dana said, we're going to talk about managing technology. If you've listened to the other episodes, you've heard us mention technology. But today we're really going to dive deeper and really think about technology and talk about the options, talk about how we prepare families for using technology. We're going to share some troubleshooting ideas, some tips and we're also going to consider the idea of access, which, as we know, um, is challenging depending on where you live in the country, right? Not everybody has the same level of access based geographically or even, you know, life circumstance wise. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. So we know that programs have been accessing different web-based platforms. You know, some people use Zoom, some people use Microsoft Teams. We've heard some people using Adobe. I'm sure there's a, a wide variety of other um, telehealth platforms out there. Um, security can definitely be an issue. And as you're thinking about the platform that you're using, you want to really be thinking about uh, HIPAA compliance and protected health information and confidentiality, especially if you're doing telehealth from your home, you know, you want to make sure that you are protecting that confidentiality of those families that you're servicing. And I would say if you're unsure about this or you have questions, I would definitely talk to your supervisor or your program director. Um, a lot of programs are going to have requirements um, or they're going to require that you use a certain platform. And some of those requirements are going to be based on things like funding and um, just different different rules and regulations, both in your state and then also in your individual program. So definitely talk to your supervisors if you're questioning what platform can I use, what's best, um, what makes the most sense. Those are questions you really should be uh, asking at the program level. So managing technology, it's been a challenge, right? It's been a challenge for practitioners. It's been a challenge for families. I know, although we weren't doing telehealth, um, managing remote school, the technology was extremely challenging and um, sometimes very frustrating. And for a lot of different reasons, you know, in, in my experience, managing remote school and having to do the technology, it wasn't always the same challenge every day. Sometimes the challenge I solved Monday's challenge and Tuesday was a different challenge. And then Friday was a completely different challenge. And then maybe Thursday we had no challenges at all. We've talked a lot about these in other episodes and we're really going to focus today on strategies that um, 
both early intervention providers can use as well as families that might uh, you might find helpful in managing technology and making your visits a little bit more successful. Yeah, I would agree on the challenges there, Emily. I mean, I didn't have little ones like you did managing technology, but my son in high school, um, the technology just didn't always cooperate. And sometimes he would be sitting there like, I can't log in. I don't know, or I don't have the login. But I, and I thought, you know, all of those things where, or, you know, I can't hear the teacher or um, the webcam is fitzing out. You know, I, I can't see this, the shared screen. All the stuff that students went through and families went through with virtual schooling, I think there's a, probably a decent overlap with early intervention when families were trying to log in or service providers, you know, like you said, depending on the geographic area and the resources there, they might have even been having bandwidth issues trying to log in for their own visits. So I think we have all felt the the <laughs> online virtual space struggle over the last couple of years. So I hope that's I hope that's getting easier in general. But as you guys are get, bringing new families into early intervention, if your programs and many are continuing to offer virtual services, some programs are still completely virtual. Some are doing a hybrid approach. Some programs are all the way back to face to face. But wherever you are, if you with the family make the decision that the virtual or telehealth, tele-intervention visit is the, the way to go. A great place to start is orienting the family because we want to consider that there still are many families who have never done early intervention before, many, and who also have never done a virtual session before. Some of us have experience with virtual visits with doctors or connecting with family members over FaceTime or other kinds of platforms. But um, it's really a good idea to take some time to make sure you and the family are on the same page. So we've heard um, some strategies from providers that have worked, including taking time to schedule before your first visit, some kind of a 15-minute technology check, little quick virtual visit So you can walk the family through logging in and troubleshooting any challenges. I've heard providers say they actually start that visit on the phone and then walk the family through, you know, you'll email them the link, click on the link here. Once it's open, you know, if they have to set up an account, they walk them through that, how to open their webcam, how to open their mic, and then troubleshooting any challenges that pop up. One of the best um, troubleshooting strategies I've heard just go back to the phone. If the Zoom freezes or whatever platform, you know, the audio goes out, hopefully families have um, a way to, to call. Now, if a family's only on a phone for the whole thing, you still have to troubleshoot that. But I know we're going to talk about troubleshooting later. Um, I've heard practitioners say, if possible, if a family has a laptop or a tablet, to encourage them to use that device if it's available as opposed to the mobile phone, because typically the family has a better view of you and there it, it, there may be a better view for um, wherever you set up that device to be able to observe the child and the parent. Another, speaking of video or viewing, observing, if possible, there are some really good resources now that weren't available at the beginning of the pandemic where you can send a video link to a parent to show them what a tele-intervention visit is going to look like. So one of the places you can go for that is the Early Childhood Technical Assistance Center. Um, their website has lots. They, they just were in the moment developing and posting resources that were being developed everywhere around virtual intervention. And Larry Edelman um, recorded some visits, I think, in collaboration with practitioners in Ohio. I'm not sure about the state, but um, there's some really good examples on there. So when we think about examples, we think about knowing what it, think about what it's like, what can you can do to help families get connected. We wanted to share a clip 
from a service provider so you can hear her story. She, um, this clip is about is a couple of minutes long, so hang in there. It's about four or five minutes long. But she shares a really interesting story about how she helped a mother who was anxious about using technology and kind of reminds us not to take things for granted. So um, we're going to shift you over to hearing from Melanie, and then we'll come back together and chat and, and see what, what you thought about Melanie's advice. There are definitely, there can be lots of challenges sometimes when we are providing tele-intervention from, you know, just getting connected um, and also just families that maybe just are not very tech savvy. Um, so I always say my best tips are just try to f- try to figure out where your families are as far as the, the learning curve of technology. Are they proficient? I check in with them before we even think about getting connected, just about will they need help? Um, here is my phone number. What is your phone number? If we're having trouble um, getting connected, we can talk to each other and I can talk you through it. I try to um, email very explicit instructions on how to get connected and where the link is or how to click the link um, just so that they really have a step-by-step to get through it. But I do have a a little story of a little one that I was working with whose mom um, really just was not tech savvy at all. Um, And she did she did express that to me through email before our first visit that she was quite anxious about it. And she wasn't very familiar with using the computer. The um, student did have an iPad, but she really wasn't quite sure. I think the the student, um, the child knew how to work it a little bit better than she did. And so on the first time that we tried to get connected, she was very, very frazzled and she um, was, sending me email messages and just, I, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this link. And I, I could tell that her anxiety was creeping up. And by the time we eventually did connect it, it, the session was basically over and she was very anxious and on edge and um, kind of a little upset with the child at the moment. So it was really kind of one of those disaster moments of, uh Oh, I really didn't do um, as good of a job supporting her as I could have. So Uh, I stored that in the back of my mind. We spoke after the session. I clarified some more instructions and I was trying to figure out where she was getting hung up. And so I gave her my phone number. We got on the phone with each other and we just ran through the process of how to get connected. And what I found out was she didn't even know how to get on the internet. She didn't know how to just click the little Chrome browser at the bottom to get Um, that little window where she could type in the link for my um, therapy room. So she didn't really know how to open up a browser. And once we figured out that, then it was very easy from there. So um, getting on the phone was really critical. And I think that helped ease her anxiety. She definitely was comfortable on the phone. And that really helped that I could just walk her through step by step by step. And I'm here with you. It's okay. We'll do this together. It's not a big deal. We can get, you know, we can get through this. You can do this and just really cheering her on the whole time. And by the second session, she she logged on no problem. I didn't have to get on the phone with her. She was on. And for the remainder of our time working together, she had no tech issues after that. So um, sometimes we just really need to meet our families where they're at and um, 
we take for granted as practitioners because we have been immersed in this teletherapy world for such a time now that it's so easy and that everybody knows how to click a link or get onto the internet, but sometimes they don't. And so asking those critical questions before we get started of, would you like to be on the phone with me? Do you know how to um, get on the internet on your device? Do you know how to open links? They seem like simple questions, but that can really um, set the tone and make for a better start or a rougher start um, with our new families. So just a couple of tips there. Um, the other tips that I um, use frequently in early intervention, um, you know, our little ones like to move quite a bit. And especially as occupational therapists, we need to see our children moving. We sometimes are working on a lot of sensory activities. And so I always recommend if parents have two devices, that is great. Um, usually I'll recommend my parents try to keep a phone even in their pocket sometimes because sometimes the technology can become really distracting for some of the kiddos that we work with. So if the caregiver can keep a phone in their pocket, maybe with some headphones, and I can kind of be like a bug in their ear. And if they set up their computer or their laptop screen kind of up high out of reach of the child, but gives me a bird's eye view of the room, that seems to work really well if we're working on a play activity or a sensory motor activity. Um, of course, if I'm working just on some feeding skills, usually just having the laptop kind of positioned back on the table is sufficient. So um, those are just a couple of tips that I seem to use frequently. And as long as our connection is good with our families, then um, having those two devices can be really helpful. And if not, we just do the best that we can. I just tell parents, take me along with you. And it's okay if I get a little dizzy um, and they can place me up on a shelf if possible when they get to a place where they're going to be a little bit more stationary. So those are just a couple tips. Hopefully they help. Okay. Well, I think Melanie gives some really great advice and it's so helpful to hear from someone who's been doing the work and what she talks about. One of the things I love that she says, she talks about how the importance of reassuring families that this is okay, that she tells them to just take me with you. We're going to figure this out. And I've heard other practitioners talk about that, like letting families know we really are, we're in this together if the technology goes weird or, you know, I'm here to help you. Don't try not to stress about it because we're going to we're going to work together. I um I thought her advice about accessing and using devices was a really nice segue too to our next tips, which are about using devices. So some of the tips that we have around using devices is when you're using a phone. Um, and actually, Dana, I think you gave, you had told me this, like, while I was doing some like virtual schooling. And I think at that point, we were doing a few telehealth visits with Colette's um, PT. And you had said, oh, you should put it in a tennis shoe and use the the shoe as a stand. And I was like, that is genius. Um, oh, hey, I can't take it. <laughs> I can't take credit for that genius. I wish I could. I actually heard it from someone else's training on virtual visits. They were like, this is the best idea ever. So I'm always careful to say it's not my idea, but what a fantastic idea yeah, that somebody yeah. put forward and said, everybody, hopefully everybody's got an extra shoe laying around that they can use as a stand to keep that phone from falling over. Yeah. And like you, you know, like you said, it won't fall over. You can also easily move it around with you. It also potentially may make the child less distracted by the device. Oh, you know, yeah. like it's like kind of like makes it a little bit more camouflaged. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I don't know, maybe. Some of the other tips that we have is position the device up high so that the provider has like the widest view and the parent doesn't have to worry about trying to keep the child in kind of the small view of the camera. And with this tip, you might also want to see if the parent can call in for audio on another device when the webcam or the laptop or the tablet or dad's phone, whatever you have, is positioned up high further away so that the audio is closer to the parent. So then you as the provider aren't kind of struggling to hear. Um, That would give you the best probably uh, visual and audio um, perspective of the visit. And then we have another tip about using two devices from Faith. She's a parent of a child in early intervention, and she's going to um, just give us some advice about using two devices. I also recommend maybe more than one device that you log into just because you're, at least my own child, is a very curious kid and he'll put the phone right up to his face. So we have a second camera sometimes on his back so that our provider can observe us while he's talking into the phone. So similar, similarly, you know, listening to what Faith said, we could also have both parents log in on separate devices so that providers have multiple views and can also interact with both. Um, we can encourage families to take the device with them as they move about. This can be a big benefit to providers so that you're able to see more of that natural family life. And um, another tip would be turn your picture or video, the provider, you, the provider, turn your picture or video off so the child isn't distracted by looking at you. Um, You know, if they're looking at just a blank screen, they may become disinterested in the device. And then turn the device to face the parent or the child. The parent doesn't always have to be able to see the provider. They just need to be able to hear you. So those are just, uh, you know, some positioning devices, positioning suggestions that I think Dana and I both think will help kind of set you up for success in terms of being able to see the most during your telehealth visits. Yeah, I heard, I think it was a physical therapist or an occupational therapist talk about having, there were but the both parents log in on separate devices. And it was really cool because she said she could see the child's movements from two different perspectives. And it was really helpful for her to be coaching the parents and noticing different things about the child's movements when she had this like multi-level view. So I thought that was really cool because both parents were in the room, both had their phones. So she had, I think the father log in as well. And then she could kind of see things from different perspectives. So I thought that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Like probably thinking on her feet, you know, like, oh, hey, how about we try this kind of a a tip? Yeah. Yeah. I also like the one about turning the picture off. Another colleague mentioned she was working on feeding with a family and, um, they were trying to figure out how to position the laptop and the mother faced the laptop toward her. So the OT was looking at the mom and she's like, can you turn me away from you? Cause I actually need to see how the baby's eating too. So they would kind of switch it back and forth and they figured out they left it so that she could see the child to be coaching the parent. She could watch them feeding so she could coach the parent and see what the child was doing. But turned out the parent realized she didn't really need to be able to see the therapist as much as she might've wanted to just to have that face to talk to. So some pretty cool strategies that came from, I think, experience like troubleshooting in the moment. 
Yeah, I think Dana, like listening to what you just said too, it's a good reminder that like, and we said this like right off the bat in episode one that, you know, children shouldn't just be like logging on and, and kind of watching their their visit and being expected to pay attention. And so yeah, I think although this is m- maybe not directly related to troubleshooting, but just like a reminder for people that like you are an expert in your field, you are good at what you do. And I have full faith in all of our early intervention providers that if for whatever reason you you can't see like you use some of the other things you've learned use your active listening use your you know reflective questioning yeah because i think that you would probably get a very good sense of the picture of what is happening by using the other skills that you have if you know that visual cue that visual skill isn't there in the moment yeah oh that's such a good point i have heard of practitioners even doing um more probably more supportive conversations than a regular visit but mm-hmm. by phone when a parent it was particularly this story i heard was a grandparent who wasn't able to log in to the web platform and they did a you know the provider said it wasn't her preferred way to support the family just by chatting over the phone but at least they were able to keep into contact and as soon as they could get back out there to support the family in person at least it maintained contact and the, the provider could troubleshoot and answer asking you know answer questions and they basically just tried to make it work as much as they could to support the parent using whatever technology they had access to so let's talk about troubleshooting and we're going to, Emily's going to talk a little bit more about access because I think troubleshooting and access are kind of entangled, right? Um, sometimes challenges with access are where we've got to jump in and troubleshoot. And then troubleshooting can just be, I always think some days my computer is just cranky. In those days, logging out and logging back in is probably the best troubleshooting tip to start with. I heard a, um, a computer person say one time, that logging in and logging out fixes like 80% of the problems with access with Tro. So I think it's such a good idea just, or even turning your computer off and re- rebooting it can be helpful too. So those seem like duh kind of strategies, but they're really helpful. You can always have your folks or yourself, if you're having trouble, try a different browser. That's often like the, the best troubleshooting tip number two. Um, and then some more specific to um, our early intervention types of visits. Find out from families what the bandwidth is like for them. And that's like the emotional bandwidth, which I think we've talked about before, but also the real internet bandwidth. If you if they have kids who still are going to school or maybe a, a, one of the parents working from home, see if it's possible to schedule visits around when the computer usage and the internet usage is the highest in the home. So maybe schedule earlier or later in the day or around, you know, at the lunchtime for that adult who's working in the home. Yeah, you might even consider also encouraging the family to shut off other devices while you're there. You know, you don't really think about like if you're streaming, you know, streaming services on the TV and maybe the preschool age brother is home and he has like a tablet or, you know, like just encouraging like if bandwidth is an issue, really thinking about what other devices might we be able to pause um, while we're doing this visit. That's a great Great point, Emily, because literally I turn my printer off in my office sometimes when my computer, when my internet access is going wacky, because <laughs> it's just one less thing to have accessing it. Um, and you wouldn't think that would work, but it sometimes helps. So a couple other tips. Um, folks have been talking about doing shorter visits. Sometimes the shore, a 30-minute visit as opposed to an hour-long visit can be more manageable, less stressful for everyone if technology can be a challenge. And sometimes it's just a 
a better way to go or an easier way to go, or even just a family or a family preference. So being open to changing uh, the times or the time of day and the frequency of your visits, of course, with an IFSP review can be helpful. Another great strategy I heard, um, which we talked a little bit about the best ways to get audio, the best audio for visits earlier. But another strategy we've heard is encouraging families to wear earbuds or Bluetooth if they have that available So they're hearing the providers coaching in their ear, but the child isn't hearing it. So it can reduce distractions for that child to be looking for the other voice or um, even just that other voice that's happening out of the computer to be um, changing the interaction that's happening. If you're just talking in the parent's ear, it might you might be more likely to see the interaction as would naturally happen. I guess the last one, and I think we could end any troubleshooting discussion this way, but just kind of give yourself a little bit of grace. Take a deep breath. If the family's really struggling, take a deep breath and encouraging them to do that too, that technology and learning how to manage these kinds of interactions virtually can be hard. It can also be really easy, right? But when it can be hard, just tell yourself it's okay. It's hard. We're going to, we are going to figure this out. Fortunately, you've got, hopefully you've got lots of colleagues around the whole field, right, that are doing this too or have done it. So they lean on your colleagues for some support and ideas too. So with that said, thinking about access, thinking about devices, I think it is important, like Emily mentioned before, that we think about the big picture of access because you can't troubleshoot. You can't, you know, do the intervention. Intervention went well for a lot of families during the pandemic for families that had access or for providers who had the access to be able to work from home and do that. So let's think about um, access in the context of this big picture of technology. It's important to acknowledge that somebody might do all of these things that we're talking about and still struggle. And that's that's just the reality of life and that's okay, right? Um, practitioners may have bandwidth limitations. Um, there could be connectivity issues with where they live, differences in comfort with technology varies. And so these are things that we would really encourage you to bring to your supervisor and talk about. Um, who knows, maybe your supervisor has some ideas, suggest suggestions, strategies. It's also possible that maybe other people in your agency are struggling. And so, uh, you know, it could be a great staff meeting topic to say, what are you doing that's working? Oh, could I try that? Um, That's such a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Families may also struggle with access, right? Like, and so we really need to, as programs, be exploring options to bridge access gaps. And so some of those strategies are, Asking families about scheduling when access is easier for them. Um, You know, fewer people at home, fewer people using bandwidth, when the device is available. Um, Programs could, you know, potentially be making hotspots available or encourage families to use hotspots provided by schools if possible. Um, Another thing, you know, I I don't know how available these are, but, you know, asking um, thinking about your community. I know that sometimes the library has opportunities. The library sometimes has rooms. I know in Massachusetts, um, we did some grants and we have like telehealth kiosks available in some communities where you can go and use this, like, it's like a pod, um, and you can log in and use it. And it's available there for telehealth, not just for early intervention, but for doctor's appointments and all the different things we're doing telehealth now therapy. Um, so thinking about how, how can I 
be utilizing my community, right? Like how can I help, how can my community help me solve the problems of, you know, me and my families as early intervention providers? Um, One example of a solution might be, um, and I think Dana, you shared this story with me of a family that parked in the driveway and allowed the parents to access the provider's hotspot, but they did the the visit virtually while the provider was still out in the car. So that's another thing, you know, if you don't have hotspots to give parents, but you as a provider have hotspots, you might be able to think about, okay, I'm, I'm going to give them access to my hotspot without um, being face-to-face with, with them for whatever reason why that's not um, an option. Another really great um, suggestion would be ask parents to send you a video of a routine or an activity either by text or email And then you can watch the video and call the parent to discuss if phone access is all you have, right? That's that's a really nice way to give you the opportunity to still see what's going on, but not have to see it in the moment accessing internet. Um, And then, you know, lastly, I would say consider whether or not virtual visits are the most appropriate option for the family. You know, this might be a family or a situation where, you need to offer in-person visits instead, or maybe we need to do some sort of hybrid where, you know, we're doing a little bit of both. And so all of those things are things that we should really be considering when we're thinking about service delivery for families. Yeah. It's so important to be thinking about the option and how to make that decision too. You know, how to decide as a team, whether it's virtual visits or whether it's face-to-face in-person visits or whether it's a hybrid. I think I think there's going to be a lot more thinking about that across our field because we can't be making the decision just because we don't want to go to a certain neighborhood or, you know, which safety can be an issue. But I think there's lots of there's lots of things that we're going to need to be thinking about. I think virtual visits, hell interventions kind of here to stay with a lot of programs. So um, hopefully there'll be more guidance coming out across the field about how to how to make that decision from an equitable standpoint. I think, Dana, we also have to be willing to have open and honest conversations with yeah. families. Like, I don't love to see myself on video. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know the couple of telehealth visits we did, I really struggled with that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't I don't want to be on camera with you. And yeah. so, you know, I might not feel comfortable telling a provider that, but if a provider asked, I might be like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm so relieved you asked yeah. me. Like, I, I really... I really don't like to do it. Like, can we figure out a way that I can not be on video or maybe face-to-face really is the best option for me and my family? Yeah. Um, I think it's, we have to remember that it's not just about access and it's not just about our own comfort level as providers, but it's also the comfort level of a family, right? If a family is dreading having to be seen over Zoom, Zoom or even dreading, regardless of how much support you've given them, trying to figure out the login, chances are you're going to see their engagement decrease, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And so those are things we need to talk about. Trying not to take advantage, or take advantage, not that's not the word, um, take for granted that everyone is online a lot or everyone knows how to do these kinds of logins or everyone knows how to access their devices in different ways. You know, I think it, it's like a balance between 
uh, family capacity, like understanding, trying to investigate what's family capacity, being respectful of that, offering those options and making it okay to pick whichever option is best. Like, you know, I think there's, it's so much in how you, the delivery of those kind of things. So I'm glad you brought that up, Emily. So, you know, as we start to wrap up this episode, there's a quote that comes to mind and it's one of my favorite quotes. And I think it kind of sums up managing technology in the early intervention space, like probably managing technology, lots of places. It's from Goethe. And he said, everything is hard before it's easy. So I kind of, I'm going to tell my kids yeah, that. I kind of love that. <laughs> that's yeah, that's awesome. I feel like we need that stitch on a pillow in this house. <laughs> I love that. It reminds me that, you know, patience is important. Flexibility is kind of a must in early intervention and lots of other things. And I think I've heard practitioners talk about having a good sense of humor being essential to getting through the the virtual visit shift to managing technology. But I, I have heard people say that in most cases, it gets easier with practice. Managing technology gets easier with practice and supporting families virtually gets easier with practice. So we hope you'll hang in there and we hope that you all listening will ask for help when you need technology support. Um, because we don't want anybody else around you assuming that you know or you have what you need. Reach out to the people that are in your network and let them know what you need and support each other. So we hope you'll join us next time. We hope you all take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.